0: Welcome to episode 120 of the Natural Hat-Trick Podcast. Long <laughs> Alongside Craig Morgan, who is on the other side of the country, I'm Luke Lipinski. No Jamie Eisner today. He said, if Craig's not going to be here in person, quite frankly, it's not worth my time. And he wandered off to, as we assume, get his nails done, but we don't know that for sure yet. So Craig, how is, how is New York treating you? Uh, it's treating me
1: fine it's not treating the coyotes so well but so far so good always good to see old friends all
0: right let's um let's just start with the coyotes let's right i mean we we don't need to we don't need to start anywhere else let's, <laughs> let's start with the coyotes awkward uh you and i talked about it actually on the broadcast last night in the second intermission uh and then they ended up losing that game. Uh, I thought the first period was. This was the game against the Islanders. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it was, uh, it was the game against the Islanders. I thought the first period was maybe their best period of the season. They got secondary scoring. Uh, it wasn't a perfect game by any means, but they outplayed all of the Islanders except John Tavares. And yet the Coyotes still don't <laughs> have a win this season, nine games in. And I, I don't know where you come out on this, Craig. I mean, it's it's always dangerous to play the hypothetical game, but. I feel like if they were just getting consistent goaltending, they would have at least three, maybe four wins right now, which is not fantastic by any means, but they wouldn't be the focal point of the league being winless with, through nine games under those circumstances.
1: Well, I agree with the latter. I don't I don't know how many wins they would have, and I don't know what to expect from Antiranta yet, because we've only seen him for you know, one full game at home, and less than a period against Vegas, and that's all he's played because he's been injured, obviously. So I I don't know what he would give them. Yes, if they got consistent goaltending, I think they'd at least have a couple wins. Louis Domingue has struggled. There's no other way to put it. Now, when you look at the game last night, I don't think there were any glaring bad goals. But when you give up five goals on 25 shots, let's face it, you're an NHL goaltender. You are paid to do more than simply stop the shots you're supposed to stop. As Rick Tockett put it, we're looking for some saves. That's what you got to have from your goaltender. Sometimes they have to rescue you when you have those defensive breakdowns or you have those stretches in games where you're just defending too much and running around in your own zone. Your goalie's got to bail you out, and and that just hasn't happened for Louie. And couple that with all their other issues, you know, the new system, lots of young faces, the defensive breakdowns that we talked about, guys not knowing what to do with each other quite yet. You got the recipe that leads to an 0-8 and one start, which is now tied for the second longest losing streak to start a season in NHL history.
0: Yeah, and you know I think that's probably the best way to put it is you know if you are an NHL goalie, you've got to make some difficult saves, and and John Tavares for the most part was just redirecting pucks into the net, which is is maybe the hardest thing to do as a forward, especially at that level with with how quickly the shots or, or you know, even rebounds are, are coming out to you, but. You're right. There's not any of those. Maybe the fifth one wasn't great that he let in, but um, the, the first four, they, they, none of them were like easy shots that he should have stopped. But when you, when you put it on top of the other games he's had this season, where he's, he seems like he's given up rebounds on, on everything, and you know, he's had some games where he's played better. But then on those nights, the Coyotes couldn't score enough in front of him. But if you're gonna face 25 right. shots, I understand there were some defensive breakdowns. But if you only allow 25 shots in an NHL game and you score three goals. That should be a win.
1: Yeah, my, I tend to agree with you. And it, uh, again, it, it, sometimes it's it's the quality of those 25 shots sometimes, right? It's, yeah. it's not always about quantity. But and, and we shouldn't ignore the fact that, as Rick Tockett said, when you play against John Tavares, you need to get a stick. Basically, him saying, you should probably pay attention to John Tavares when he's on the ice. That's not a guy who should come open as often as he did last night. Now, look, I know he's he's an amazing player and he has the ability to find those scenes and get open, find, as, as Tuckett calls it, the good ice, but you gotta, you gotta keep an eye on that guy. So that's, that's on the defense as well, but yeah, they, they they've got to get better goaltending. I think, I think is going to be back at some point soon on this trip. I don't think he'll play against the Rangers on Thursday, maybe on Saturday against the devils, but I, I do think at, at the very least that he'll be back, you know, for the, maybe that game in Philadelphia the following week.
0: Well, that would be huge. I mean, as you said, we've really only seen him for about a game and a half uh, this season in, in terms of actual. And, and the game he played, the Coyotes lost. It actually was was not one of their better games collectively. It was just their second game of the season. But he was he was lights out. He made 40 saves against Vegas in the 2-1 overtime loss. I mean, if he was if he was just healthy and playing every game like that, and that was a pretty high level, <laughs> they'd be fine. And now you can't de- depend on your goalie to do that every night. But if he can come back and just be decent. You know, they can, they can pull out of this at some point, but you've got four games left on this road trip. You're, you're out there with the team right now. Just in terms of overall morale, how is it? I mean, all things considered, two or three games ago, even going into the Chicago game, I felt like the team morale, considering their record, was still pretty high. But now the Chicago game was a game where they played well enough to beat a lot of teams, and I thought they played well enough to beat the Islanders, too. At some point, that's got to be weighing on this group.
1: Yeah and I think you heard it a little bit in the comments last night. Nick Cousins was one of the guys that we got to talk to after the game who of course scored one of those goals from secondary scores that the Coyotes need. He said I think we're a little fragile right now and that's that's a pretty startling admission to come from a player but I, you know I, I appreciated the honesty, the candor because I, I think it's fair right now. Derek Stepan who will play against his old team tomorrow night at the Square Garden said he just, I don't think anybody really has the answers right now for why it's not working. And he said that the thing that we have to avoid right now is just nitpicking too much. You beat yourself up too much, and you start finding all these reasons why you're not winning. And it almost is a self-fulfilling prophecy. He said we just, we got to find a way to get that first win. Just simply outscore the other team. It's as
0: simple as that. Uh, the bright spot for the Coyotes has, has absolutely been Clayton Keller, number one in the NHL among rookies in goals and points now with six goals, ten points. I know it's still early in his career, but he has looked every bit as as good as, as the hype was on him. And there's a lot of publications and a lot of scouting reports out there that had him as, as the NHL's top prospect coming into the season that wasn't already playing in the NHL. And he's looked every bit the part so far. Yeah, I, Luke, I, I, the thing – the thing that's just amazing to me about Clay, look, he's, he's, he's productive. So that,
1: that in and of itself is the hardest thing to do in the league, but I'm amazed at how many times he is around the puck, how many chances he either generates for others or generates by making a good move, making one of those elite skill plays that we, we just haven't seen around here that much to do it at his age, coming in in his rookie season to, to have so many chances on a consistent basis is really impressive. And it just makes you wonder what the heck the ceiling is for this guy. You know, look, teams are, teams are looking for Clayton Keller. Now they know that the coyotes are only getting production from one line right now, and yet he's still around it. That's what kind of talent he is. Now it certainly helps. He's playing with a guy on the opposite wing, Max Domi who can skate with him and is a creative presence. a guy who looks to pass first. And he's also got a center in Derek Stepan who's taking care of all those little details. That nobody looks for at the other end. I think Derek Stefan's also been very good. But Clayton Keller, you know, I wrote about this for, for, for us uh, the other day. I think he's the most dynamic rookie this franchise has ever had, Luke.
0: I can't argue with that. I mean, you start to look even even in recent years. You talk about all the the highly touted prospects the Coyotes have had, but I, I I certainly don't remember in the last five to ten years a rookie coming in and being a goal scorer like this. And I remember when they drafted him, a lot of the talk was, yeah, he's, he's a goal scorer, but he's he's a playmaker too. And uh, even in college, you know, he was he was playing center Gr- growing up. He played center. There were times where he played left wing. What gets lost in the shuffle here is they moved him to right wing right before the season, and if anything, he's better now.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, that. It, it, <laughs> it is. And we talked about this before the season. Like, do they really
1: want to put him in that situation at a position he's played the least of all the forward positions? We thought it might be a, a, a problem, a, a bad idea for a kid who's just trying to find his way in the league in a new system with all these new faces. He hasn't even batted an eye. I mean, at, like you just mentioned, he's leading the league in goals, leading the league in assists for rookies and – he just He's just around it every night. He is creating plays for them, creating offense. It is really impressive to watch.
0: Now, he didn't score in the Islanders game, but he did have two assists. He scored the game before against the Blackhawks. That game was in uh, Glendale, Arizona. And the second period was interesting because you had Patrick Kane score on a breakaway and then you had Clayton Keller score. Those are the only two goals in the uh, the period. And it's well known that Clayton Keller growing up, looked up to Patrick Kane and, and sort of models his game after him. I'm not going to put those expectations on him yet, but it, it's, it's been a great start. But there was some some symbolism there with each of them scoring the only two goals in that period. I will say this, and I'm looking at your notes that you wanted to talk about on the show. The Blackhawks are 5-3-2. and two. They've, they've lost three of their last four, one of them in overtime to the Oilers on that, that game where McDavid had the ridiculous pass to set up the first goal of the game. But... <laughs> yes even in that game against the Coyotes, I thought that game was pretty evenly played. I really wasn't that impressed by Chicago. It's just one night. Like I've seen the Coyotes. I've seen all their games, obviously. Chicago, I I thought easily could have lost that game to the Coyotes. I know you're you're concerned about the Blackhawks when they're three seconds away from winning the Stanley Cup. How do you feel right now?
1: I don't feel good about them at all. I, I really don't feel good about that blue line. And and I, I had a chance to talk to Joel Quenville quite a bit when he was here, you know, during a media scrum, just asking him about the blue line. And, and right now, look, the Blackhawks are, are saying all the right things about the eight defensemen that they're trying out at that position, saying, you know, they've got a lot of good options and that's a good problem to have. Well, look, Joel Quenville's not a guy who wants to go into the season in that situation where he's trying to figure out what his defensive pairs are going to look like. And, and there's one reason why he's having to do that, because, They only have one defenseman who they can count on right now, in Duncan Keith, and and maybe a second in Jan Ruther, who is who's who's been a bit of a surprise and has played pretty well for them. They're just not getting it from the rest of those guys. If you look at their possession numbers, they're near the bottom of the league. I know they lost to Vegas last night, which increasingly is not becoming a big deal because Vegas is beating everybody. But the Blackhawks haven't played well recently, and and if you look at their underlying numbers, I don't think it's any surprise you should expect them to start losing more because. They're just not controlling the puck like they used to. In their cup years, they were such a great possession team. They are not now. They are one of the league's worst possession teams.
0: The, you know, the arguments every year with the Blackhawks is that you give Quenville 82 games to coach up his team, and, and they'll be in the playoffs, and they will improve over the course of the year. Uh, but you know if, if you don't have the personnel, you don't have the personnel. And again, with the Blackhawks, it's not about making the playoffs or even winning one series. They're, they're still trying to get to and win more cups. Is do they have even the room to add another piece on defense? Or do you see guys that maybe Joel Quenville could mold into at least serviceable defensemen to put around Duncan Keith?
1: Well, I, you know, you, the, the first thing that they need to have happen, and, and look, he he can't change the fact that he's he's just slow. Brent Seabrook has that huge contract. I think it's like $6.875 million is his cap hit for seven more years. Brent Seabrook doesn't move well, but he's still got the big shot on the power play Maybe he can still help them in other areas. He's playing with uh, Duncan Keith right now, and there's a familiarity there. So they need him to play at a higher level. But beyond that, you know, they're, they're counting on a bunch of young guys to come along, whether it's Michael Kempney or Gustav Forsling or, or someone else, uh, Connor Murphy, a guy that they acquired from the Coyotes who has been scratched twice. Uh, they need someone from that group to step up. But I do believe that, you know, after the new year, because of the. Uh, the cap relief that the Blackhawks got from their, their three players on long-term injured reserve. Yes, there should be an investigation into that. But they've got three players on long-term injured reserve. They're going to get some significant cap relief because of that. So, uh, you know, when, when we get closer to the trade deadline, I do think that they'll look to go out and, and make a move. And they're going to be able to make a move for a significant player. They can probably acquire a top four defenseman. I don't know who's going to be selling. Those are always really hard to find at the trade deadline. But they do have the maneuverability to do it, and I think Stan Bowman will certainly to do that because that has to be priority number one for this team.
0: All right, let's transition to the team that just beat Chicago last night. Vegas hasn't played a road game in 18 days. That should be pointed out. But uh, who cares? They're winning their games. They're 7-1 and now this season. The one loss came to Detroit. This is absolutely absurd. They just don't lose. And their last two wins came over St. Louis and Chicago. So it's not like they're just – they're not just beating up on teams at the bottom of the standings. They're now beating some of the, the, the top teams in hockey.
1: It's insane, Luke.
0: How how long can this last? This,
1: this has to end at some point, right? They have to take a look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, we, we don't stack up with other teams at the center position. I mean, they've got a lot of defensemen, as we know, but do, do they have elite defensemen? No. They, they've got James Neal and they've got Marc-Andre Fleury, who's, who's injured right now. They won... They beat the Blackhawks with their third-string goalie last night. By the way, and just dominated the Blackhawks. Yeah, it's insane I, what's happening there right now. It's insane. There's I have never seen anything like this in any sport.
0: That's that's definitely the counter to well, yeah, but they've played nine games or whatever, and seven of them, all but two of their games have been at home, and their next games at home too. But on the flip side, Flurry's been hurt. Malcolm Subban, who was their backup, stepped in, played great, won two games, and had a two point oh six goals against average he's hurt too so now they're down to Oscar Dansk who is also 2 and 0 with a 2.44 goals against average <laughs> exactly Oscar Dansk steps in and he's undefeated so if you're asking when it when it turns for them I, I mean i think at some point they haven't experienced any sort of road trip really at all their first their first two games of the season were road games but they were in Dallas and then Arizona and then like i said they will play seven straight at home they've played six of them when they start getting to the grind as the season goes, where, you know after that game at home on Friday against Colorado, they're in Brooklyn, New York, Boston, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. Like that—that's a pretty brutal stretch. So I guess the biggest question I have with them now, aside from when their goalies get healthy, is when they do start to lose games, how quickly can they can they turn it right back around and, and win a couple games? Like if they start that road trip out losing the first two games, does that then snowball into into four or five losses and they start to undo everything they've done? Because they've built themselves enough of a cushion where if they can just stop the bleeding every time they lose a couple games, they're going to be around this for a while.
1: Yeah, and and we talked so much about, or the league talked so much, about how they set Vegas up for success through the expansion draft. And, of course, nobody believed them. Um, But one of the things that we didn't talk about was, the league set them up for success with the schedule they gave them. Yeah. And look, you still have to beat teams just because you're on home life. not mean, you're going to win, but to play. What is it? Seven of their first nine games at home. Yeah. That, that certainly helps to get you off to a good start. And let's not forget the emotion. This team is playing on right now between the launch of a new franchise. And, and of course the, you know, the well chronicled shootings up there, they're, they're, they're riding a wave of emotion right now. And I think it's really helping them. I, I still think you're right. I, I think at some point reality is going to set in, but yeah, if they build a big enough cushion, if they get like nine games over 500, they might be in the playoff push late in the season, which is just insane to think about for an expansion franchise.
0: It is crazy that they they played that game on October 7th in Arizona, and their next road game is October 30th in Brooklyn, so that's 23 days between road games. It's not just the value of getting to play a bunch of games at home, but just the simple fact that you get to kind of settle in and all of these guys obviously just moved there, I guess, other than Derek England this offseason. So you get to settle in, you get just the, the comfort zone you get to be in playing that many games in a row at home, but also not having to leave for over three weeks is almost unheard of now yeah you know, they're going to pay for that at some point and and like i said what eight of their next nine are going to be on the road and there's a lot on the east coast so that's going to be the first real test in uh, in late october and and through the first half of november but uh, this is a pretty cool story for the nhl like i i'm i'm all for vegas at least being in playoff contention in their first season yeah and I, you know speaking of of good stories I, I know the nhl early
1: season is always filled with these sorts of bizarre stories although nothing this bizarre but there's some Pretty shocking stories right now. I'm in I'm in the New York area, and I you know I was down at uh, a Devil's practice the other day to talk to them about the the rookies and what they're doing there, and, and of course Brian Boyle's very powerful story of return. But there are stories like this jumping around the NHL right now. Can you explain to me what's happening with the Vancouver Canucks right now? Who I think we we buried from the get go. We had them completely out of the playoff picture, probably dropping to the bottom of the conference, and and they're competitive. They're over 500 too.
0: Yeah, see, this is where we need Jamie to to come on the show. Maybe this is why he's not doing it today, because he, he gets so much glee out of Vancouver being so bad. And look, they're they're not great by any means, but they've won three in a row and they're five, three, and one this season. They got Washington and Dallas coming up to close out the month of October. Let me ask you this if I told you one of the V teams, either Vegas or Vancouver, is making the playoffs, which one are you taking? <laughs>
1: I don't know, I'd probably flip a coin. I
0: that's think I'd take point. Vegas. I, I I I have more confidence in Vegas. They obviously have the better record too, but I I don't know. I feel like we've seen Vancouver start out okay before and then as the year goes on and the pressure gets to them there. Like that's the other thing. I think when the Golden Knights hit a losing streak this season, which I mean it happens to every other team, so I'm assuming at some point it'll happen to them. I feel like their fans are going to be a little more Positive and supportive than than Vancouver fans if if their team goes into the tank for you know a week or two I, I feel like they're just going to sort of turn on their team because they've seen it before.
1: <laughs> You're probably right. That is that's sort of the uh, tenor of Vancouver fans anyway. So yeah, Vegas. Th- this is all new to Vegas. So and and after the, like I said after the emotion of that that home game that first home game they played against the Coyotes and all that was wrapped into that. Uh, I think there's an amazing bond that has already formed between the Golden Knights and the City of Vegas, so they probably have a lot more latitude than the Vancouver
0: Canucks do. And, you know, bottom line, Marc Andre Fleury when he comes back is still he's he's borderline elite during the regular season. I mean, this guy, as much as we talked about him, not not negatively, I mean he's a great person and he's a he's a really good regular season goalie, he's a major reason the Penguins won the cup last year. He's a major reason they won their first cup. With this group back in two thousand nine, he, he wasn't a big part of it in two thousand uh, what sixteen. But you know, they, they are going to have a goalie they can lean on when he comes back. Whereas Vancouver has Anders Nilsson and Jacob Markstrom, so that's it's a little bit of a drop off there. But they're getting are you, it done. Are
1: you just laying that out for, for me to talk badly about those two
0: guys. Uh, it's, I just in comparison to marc Andre Fleury, they are not at the same level. Yes. I'll just I'll leave. It yes, at that. I think Vancouver is far worse. In, in, that, in that regard. They're not set up
1: nearly as well as Vegas, but I mean, you look at the other positions on Vegas, and you just wonder uh, again, aside from James Neal who who on that roster jumps out at you, as you as the guy that's going to beat you in the playoffs or who's going to beat you on a nightly basis I just, I don't know how they're doing it I just don't get
0: it. There, there really isn't anybody like, you. you maybe you'd say Jonathan Marchessault cuz he he broke 30 goals last year. He's got 2 goals this year. Like I mean he, and he hasn't played in every game but but still. I mean he's contributed 2 goals so far this season and they're winning every game anyway. <laughs> it just it doesn't add up. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, it the NHL's insanity right now. I don't understand anything. Now, you touched on New Jersey. Except for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, yeah. Do you want to go Tampa or you, you want to go New Jersey here?
1: We can go either
0: way. Let's let's you uh, let you know what. Let's start with Tampa because they're they are every bit what we expected them to be. And uh, Mikhail Sergachev was <laughs> there was some talk, you know, hey, maybe he doesn't make the team right out of camp, or or then it was maybe they're gonna just give him kind of a look. Uh, he's he's been amazing. He's got nine points in ten games. He's a defenseman. He has four goals. I get that he's playing on a team. With the most underrated player in the NHL. And by the way, we talked about Nikita Kucherov last week scoring in basically every game except one. He still has scored in every game except one. He's got 11 goals in 10 games and he's spread them out over nine of those games. It's unreal what he's doing. He, There's Steven Stamkos he has Stamkos 17 old. assists. <laughs> it's, it's, un, it's, they've got so much firepower that, I mean, if they stay healthy, I, I, It's nothing new we all said this they're going to win the cup if they stay healthy it does it feels it feels like they're it almost feels like they're angry from last season they know they know how good they are
1: they know how much talent they have but you know injuries ravaged them and and they they got some bad seasons from some of their younger guys like Tyler Johnson uh, to a lesser extent Andre Pallad but they uh they just didn't they didn't have a lot of luck last season but it feels like everything is clicking for them right now and and if Steve Stamkos gets back to the level where he was before, my goodness, this team is just this team is just loaded. I, I, I don't really see weaknesses if if the blue line is in fact short up the way they believe it is. And if if we can have it, I, I'm hoping that we get a chance to see it. I'm really dying to see Tampa play Toronto in the playoffs at some point because the firepower in that series, the pace of the games, the excitement level would just be staggering. This would be the kind of hockey that the league can market.
0: It's a color matchup nightmare, though, though, because they're they're both they're both blue and white, and then white and blue. It would just be too confusing for people. But you're right. I mean, Steven Stamkos, and, Nikita Kucherov, broadcast problems. Yeah, and that defense against Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and I mean, I would take Tampa in that series, and I'd probably take them in five or six games but still it would it would just be a really fun series. Stamkos has as many assists, he has more assists than everybody else in the league has total points except Kucherov who has 17 points. Stamkos has 17 assists and 20 total points. It's uh it's been pretty impressive what they're doing and we, we haven't even talked about like Victor Hedman back on defense, you know? I mean they it's it's not yeah. it's not just two guys scoring a lot and that's it. They're they're pretty deep too. So Again, not really a surprise for anybody that was paying attention, but those numbers from those two are, are pretty staggering right out of the gate. Steven Stamkos is on pace for Ten, 164 points.
1: Yes. Yeah. 10-game point streaks for both of those guys. And you mentioned Victor Hedman. I, you know, I, I don't know where, what will happen with, with Eric Carlson this season. As long as he's healthy, there will probably be the, sorry, our bad, we're, we're giving you the Norris Trophy because we feel like we cheated you out of it another year kind of award this year, but... It's time for Victor Hedman to get his due as well, and if, if this team has the kind of success that they're they're having right now, he's going to be right in the running uh, as, as a Norris Trophy contender, and he should be. He's, he's without a doubt one of the top two, three, four defensemen in the league right now.
0: Uh, you touched on New Jersey earlier. We talked about them last week, but they continue to have success. They're now 6-2 and two this season. Their only two losses have come to Washington and San Jose. Uh, there's a lot of different stories you could you could look at with the Devils. Um, where do you want to start here? You want to start with Brian Boyle?
1: Sure. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him about his whole ordeal with you know the, the diagnosis of leukemia and coming back from that. Uh, you, you don't when you walk into a locker room and you you don't know a guy. I mean I, I probably interviewed him once or twice, but he certainly would not remember me. You know, as, as visiting me or when they came to uh, Arizona. But to have a guy just absolutely open up his heart and tell you everything that he went through (laughs) to a perfect stranger is remarkable. And Brian Boyle went through absolute hell. You know, he's talking about not only was he dealing with that diagnosis, but you know, he didn't get specific about some of these things. But he said, my parents were dealing with really heavy stuff. My wife was dealing with heavy stuff. He said, it's like we were being tested. And he's a guy who has very strong faith. And he admitted, it's really difficult to talk about your faith in professional sports. People roll their eyes. Yeah. But big part of who he is, and he felt like it was being tested, Then, and it, it did bring them all together. He's, he's very proud to say that that was one of the things that helped him through this. But, my goodness, what, what an unbelievable story. First of all, you know, he, he signs there, and, and they think they're adding a key piece, and then this diagnosis comes through. And for a while, as he, as he admitted, you you know, you start thinking about your mortality. You don't even know if you're going to live. You don't know what's going to happen. And it just does crazy things to your emotions, to your family, to your relationships. It was just great to see him back at practice. And, and by the way, you know, you add a guy to that mix at some point, he hasn't been cleared. We have no idea when he's coming back and Travis Zajac could be coming back to that lineup as well. They're already playing great hockey behind the, the, the rookies and then some of their stars. What does that team look like down the road when they add those two pieces?
0: You got to give Ray Shiro a ton of credit. I know that, that the Penguins aren't going to complain with, with how things turned out when they moved on from Ray Shiro and, and went to Rutherford because obviously they've won a couple cups since then. But Ray Shiro did a really good job with the Penguins for a while there, and it is amazing how quickly he has turned the Devils around. I, I didn't think they'd start the season 6-2, and two, but it helps to get the first pick. I understand that. But they took Nico Hesher, and so far, eight games into his career, that looks like that was the right decision. I know that's early. Uh, to be able to fleece the Oilers and get Taylor Hall the way they did was – i you can look at that and you can say it's right place, right time, but there's also some intelligence that goes into looking at Edmonton and saying, okay, that team's probably desperate for a defenseman. Maybe we can kind of rip them off and still help them, but rip them off. And their but, GM's a spooch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, their
1: GM just might make a bad deal, too. He's made them before.
0: Yeah, you got to at least call and see if you can get Taylor Hall for a – Probably a second-pairing defenseman. Uh, then they get Will Butcher, who you know we've talked on the show in the past about how those, those college-free agents, they generate a lot of hype. They don't always pan out. Uh, but nine assists in his first eight games. And it's not like their blue line is, is suddenly shored up, but it's a lot better than it was with him there. And you get Marcus Johansson from Washington because they were desperate because of cap issues. And you're able to swoop in. And all of a sudden, within basically, a, what, 18 months, he's completely turned this team around.
1: Yeah, I, it, and Will Butcher is a, a terrific story too because he's. yeah, First of all, Luke he's like my height. I had no idea he was that short. You know, I, I think everybody in the NHL measures players when they're in their skates. Yeah. To add a couple inches to him, but <laughs> he's not a big guy at all. But he's doing exactly what they want to do. First of all, I talked to John Hines about this. They, you know, he did a lot of evaluation of the style of play and what he could bring to them, and he's playing exactly the style that they want, you know, uh, like a lot of teams are doing right now, pushing the pace, pushing the puck to And he he stepped into a situation that was that, that, that blue line. We've talked about it before. I think we, we all three said on the the podcast last year, that might be the worst blue line. It probably is the worst blue line in hockey. And he's, he's rejuvenated that blue line. And they're, they're, they're getting production from back there that he's getting the puck up to the floor. like he's supposed to, he's a responsible guy in his own end, despite that size, which is remarkable to me too. And, and he's not alone in this rookie class. They're also getting contributions from Jesper Brad and, and, and from Nico Hichie, of course, the top overall pick, who has started to come on himself recently and play really well. They're getting production from those three guys. It's, it's really fueling them. And John Hines said it himself. That's what we wanted from this youth. We wanted them you know, to give us more pace, but we wanted that youthful enthusiasm, that energy in our lineup, and they've been exactly as advertised.
0: It's fun. I mean, I always like it when a team that has been struggling for a while, and the the Devils, they went to the Cup five years ago, is that right now? That was 2012 against the Kings, but generally speaking, once they lost, once Kovalchuk left and then Parisi left, I mean, they – not only did they sink to the bottom of the standings, but they were almost kind of the forgotten team uh, just based on they play in a division with a ton of firepower. They play right near the Rangers and even the Islanders since the Islanders have Tavares and and the devils just, they never had a player that for the last couple of years that you were like, Oh, the devils are on. I got to tune in and and see so-and-so now. I mean, if you're just, if you've got a night off and your favorite team isn't playing, maybe the devils aren't the first team you flip on. That's probably still Tampa Bay and Toronto and Pittsburgh and teams like that. But it's worth tuning in to see how, how Nico Heshear looks or how Taylor Hall is, is fitting in with that team. And, and they score goals, and they're winning games. I mean, I don't know. I look at them in a lot of ways coming into this season as very similar to the Coyotes, except with a potentially elite goaltender. And the Coyotes don't have a Taylor Hall, but they probably had more prospects coming into the season than New Jersey, who essentially, a couple weeks ago, we were really just looking at Will Butcher and, and Nico Heshear. But, uh, but having the goaltending helps, and, and all of their players have really risen up this season.
1: It's nice to have them playing an exciting style of hockey. I mean, when you look at what's happening around the Tri-State area, too, with the Rangers really struggling right now. And, and the Islanders, I mean, they've, they've got Tavares, as we talked about. But, I mean, I was at that game last night against the Coyotes, and they didn't have much else going on. The Islanders just look like a team that John Tavares is elevating because they, they don't look that great right now. New Jersey could capture this market. I I don't think that ever happened completely because the Rangers will always be the darlings of New York. But the Devils are, without a doubt, in my opinion, opinion, the most exciting team in this area right now. And it looks like they're still on the upward swing because they've got so much young talent and, and as we talked about, some firepower now with the additions they made uh, over the last two years.
0: Well, And, you know, it's it's an interesting topic to explore because they have won cups before. But they played a pretty boring style of hockey when they were winning those Cups. And when you're trying to compete with the Rangers and, you know, to a lesser, a much lesser extent, the Islanders, for, for dominance of that market, you know, if the Rangers really drop off and New Jersey not only is winning games and making the playoffs but doing it in exciting fashion, they're, they're going to convert some fans even if it's just for a couple years.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, everybody likes a winner, right? And a, an exciting winner, no, uh, no less, with, the, with all the talent they have right now. It could be a fun fun story to monitor. Again, you have to temper all this with the knowledge that it's the early season. We're talking about a lot of rookies, and at some point they could hit that so-called rookie wall. They could, they could drop off a little bit. Who knows what else will happen around that team. But really good story to have a team that, like you said, had success a while back with the Cubs. Find it again. Just get back to relevancy after a long time sort of out of the limelight.
0: You mentioned the Islanders, and you mentioned John Tavares in there. Uh, he is free agent at the end of this year. What's you were just there last night? What's what's the sense around that team? Is is it a lock that he comes back, or is that still somewhat up in the air?
1: Well, I, I don't. You know, I I think when you talk to people around the team, you'll probably get a, a slightly skewed opinion on the, on that. And, and there is the belief that John Tavares isn't going anywhere around here. There, there's good reason for that, and I, I don't want to discount that. Look, he he knows he holds all the cards. If he does get to free agency or if he gets close, his agent just may say, let's play out. Patterson is a smart guy. He may just say, let's play it out and see what your market value looks like. He can always return to the Islanders, as as John Tavares has repeatedly said he wants to do, but he can make sure that he's getting full market value for a player who is one of the elite players in this league. Um, When I was talking to people last night, you know, everybody's wondering why they haven't signed Tavares yet. He's in the last year of his contract. It's pretty bizarre to see an elite talent like that going into or even playing in his final year now without a contract extension. But the Islanders, of course, are searching for a new home. They're bidding for land at Belmont Park with two other groups, one of which is the, uh, one of the, the soccer teams here. The belief around here from everyone that I talk to is that there's no way the Islanders are not winning that bid because there's so much power behind it not only do you have, you know, Ledecki, John Ledecki, the owner of the Islanders and the minority owners, who are, you know, well-oiled businessmen in this city as well. James Dolan with, with MSG and the Rangers, et cetera, it, it's in his best interest to have this happen, too. And he's he's a helping hand in this. And they are big supporters at uh, the – I think it was the Long Island uh, Business Journal that wrote about this, uh, talked about how all these guys are contributors to uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. So when you have that sort of political clout behind you, it sounds like – Sounds like that's going to happen, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, there, there are all sorts of things can happen in the machinations of politics. And again, Tavares, if he wants to play the free agent game, he can, he can certainly weigh other offers and decide whether the Islanders are truly a place that he wants to remain long-term. And, and the arena certainly would factor into that because Barkley Center, Luke, well, wow, it's, uh, it's just a bad situation for that team right now.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a couple people that that don't follow hockey all that closely, but they were watching the game here last night because it was, you know, it was Coyotes Islanders and even on TV. They and they weren't even the world's biggest hockey fans. They were like, "What what arena do the Islanders play in?" And I had to point out like, "Well, that's the Barclays Center that's supposed to be a pretty nice arena, it's just not a fit for hockey at all." No, it's clearly a basketball arena. And I, I don't know. You
1: saw the empty seats there last night. I mean, that's a that should be a team that draws a little better, right? And in, in an area that has this many people and you have got a, an absolute star of the game playing for you who had a hat trick and four points last night, there were so many empty seats there last night. It was, it was really surprising. You've heard the other problems with that place. It's it's probably the worst ice in the league. Uh, they've had all kinds of problems working with the owners of that arena, you know, to get anything done, to make any repairs. So it's a bad situation. Gary Bettman is, Decide himself with that situation, so they're they're not going to remain there long term. They've just got to get this worked
0: out. Let's get to uh, a couple teams that could be on the fringe of panic mode. One of them definitely uh, is the Montreal Canadiens. Finally, won their second game of the season last night over Florida five one. So they're two wins in nine tries to begin this year. Uh, they won their first game too against Buffalo, and, and in between their seven straight losses, one of them in the middle in overtime to Toronto, but. We have talked about this team a lot in the past about how Kerry Price is so good that he probably masks a lot of their issues. And nothing against Shea Weber, but you know PK Subban is somebody that neither you nor Jamie nor myself would have would have traded away for Shea Weber. And I understand there's probably stuff behind the scenes and whatever, uh, probably stuff that maybe you could work out to keep your team better long term. But either way, Carey Price's goals against average is up over three point five right now. Nobody expects it to stay there. He's he's still one of the very best goalies, if not the best, in the world. But he's not masking the problems in front of him, and the result is they have one of the best, or sorry, worst records in all of hockey.
1: Yeah, and it, that's that's exactly right. I mean, it's the best way to put it. We we've looked at their blue line for a long time and said there are issues there. They've never had the elite scoring, the elite forwards up front. They just early in the season they always seem to find a way to score a ton of goals and and surprise people and get off to good starts that, that helped them make the playoffs. But none of that's happening right now. And Kerry and price looks very mortal, right? Now. I'm sure some of that has to do with what's going on in front of him because they in, in their possession. stats are worse than usual. No, nothing's really going well for Montreal right now. And to have that happen in a, in a hockey mecca like that has to be, it has to, has to be absolute insanity right now around there. People are probably jumping off bridges because it, it's just not a good situation in Montreal. That is, every bit as big a hockey market as Toronto even if the population is large. But this has been this has been a long time coming right that I feel like the Montreal in, in many ways because of Kerry Price, just like the Rangers were with Hendrik Ludquist was living in a self-made fantasy believing yes we can contend, yes, maybe we can even win a cup, maybe we have the pieces. They don't there's just not nearly enough talent and, and the realization is finally starting to set in that they need to do something probably drastic to turn this thing around, to rebuild it, to go in a different direction.
0: Okay, well then, you know, what is that drastic thing they can do? And the only reason I ask is because Carey Price is now signed for eight years after this at $10.5 million a year. and I, He's I, making all of their money, you mean? Yes, all of it, and he's making it for basically the next decade. And I understand that with the fan base the way it is there and with how much that organization talks about Carey Price as the best goalie in the world and how they've been – as you just said, kind of living out their own self-made fantasy, which should be the name of this podcast, by the way, is they they've looked like contenders in the standings over the last couple of years. So you can't go to your fan base and be like, "Yeah, we're not we're not keeping Carrie Price." I understand they had to sign him, but hmm. <laughs> even if did he's, you have to sign him to that kind of term, yeah, maybe maybe it did with the agent. But I, I mean,
1: just you really got to think long and hard about that sort of move and it, it, we keep seeing it over and over again that teams pay players for past performance. Look at look at, we just talked about Brent Seabrook in Chicago. He signed for seven more years and they would I mean they would they would do anything to move that contract off the books right now. They say oh we love his leadership, which is like saying, you know, he's got a great personality. <laughs> they're not in love with him anymore. He's not a fit there. It just doesn't work. But there's no way that they're going to unload him at this point.
0: No, I'm I'm not getting at that. I'm just trying to figure out like what do you do? I mean, he's by the time that contract runs out, he'll be 38.
1: But oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, you you just signed him. There's there's nothing you can do at this point. And I just this decision to go down this road. So you got to fill in in other areas, right? You have to you have to start looking at the rest of the roster and, and hope that Terry Price can give you a few good years, and maybe this right now is just an anomaly, but one thing you need to start doing is you need to get a better blue line. You need to have guys who are getting the puck up to the forwards so you're not defending so much, because that is clearly a problem right now.
0: That has the potential to be a really difficult situation, and I don't, I don't feel like we're overreacting over the first couple weeks of the season. We've been talking about this as something that could be on the horizon for the last couple of years, and now we're starting to see it, because it is... It's It's tough enough to rebuild. It's that much more difficult when you're paying one guy ten point five million dollars. I mean, how much does everybody get on the Blackhawks for playing paying Jonathan Taves and, and Patrick Kane ten point five million, but at least they're in the playoffs every year, or how much everybody got on the Oilers for paying so much to Leon Dreisidel, but they you figure, and we'll get to them in a second, they should be a playoff team every year. But in that market, it's already gonna be hard enough to tell your fans you're rebuilding whenever that is. And then when you have that much money tied up in one guy, it's just it's gonna be real tough there for them at some point and if they don't start winning soon that's that point might be like now
1: yeah yeah i don't don't, and again in that market when you have those sorts of expectations it just it's it's a bad situation i was just talking about this with dan rosen today here with the rangers with the the kind of start that they're off to too uh you know and and henrik lundquist obviously is up there in age um what do you do in terms of uh that situation do you do you think that maybe a guy like elaine vigno is in danger right now of losing his job because of the situation playing out there what if they go up and lose to the coyotes tomorrow night does that just doom them i mean do you think about moving elaine Vignot out of that job at this point
0: well I I don't I don't think quite like a New York sports fan so I'm I'm guessing New York fans (laughs) probably are willing to put your New York hat on for a moment yeah that's it's tough to get into that spot I feel like he's done a pretty good job with them really over the last couple years they just they don't have a ton of talent they they have some I, I feel like they think they have more talent than they do and unfortunately a lot of times in that situation the coach does uh does end up getting fired I don't know that it'll be anytime soon but you know even keeping it with Montreal. The, the lowest scoring team in the Eastern Conference, the Canadians, 30th in the NHL, that's kind of shocking. The team that is ranked 31st in goals per game right now, and it's funny because now you have that odd number of teams, so if you're scrolling through the stat sheets, they're kind of on their own page. Like, they put the first 30 teams on one page, and then there's the 31st team on their own page The Edmonton Oilers are averaging 1.88 goals per game. Montreal is 1.89. Nobody else is under 2.33. So that that gives you a a feel for how far back the Oilers and Canadians are. Montreal is not loaded with offensive talent. Edmonton, we're being told, week after week, has the best player in the world. What is going on in Edmonton? They don't
1: have anything around him. It's, I mean, you know that, all right. I know that you just set me up. I know you teed me up for that. And I did. Look, Leon Dreisettle has missed some time with injuries, but it, it's almost like you just can't have a generational talent and expect him to win on his own in a team game. When you, especially when you keep removing elite pieces like Taylor Hall or Jordan Everly and replacing them with lesser players, it just Again, we, we, keep, we keep banging this drum, and I, I think it's becoming obvious to everyone else now. Edmonton could still turn this around, and they probably will be a little better than this. But it, it becomes a problem, especially when Connor McDavid's contract kicks in next year. They've got a lot of money tied up in those top two centers, and they made the decision to move out other elite pieces that really could have helped them. My God, how good would Taylor Hall look on Connor McDavid's wing right now? How many goals would he score? 60? It would be insane. I, I just don't get some of the things that Peter Shirelli has done.
0: Well, and you know, right or wrong, a lot of people are looking at the Oilers now through the lens of, hey, is this a cup contender? They won a playoff series last year. They've got Connor McDavid. If he's not the best player in the world, he's one of the two or three best players, and he's only getting better, uh, it's really difficult to look at a team through that lens and not be extremely disappointed in what they're showing so far. And like you just said, this was supposed to be sort of the freebie year where Connor McDavid is still making an entry-level money. He signed the deal, but that deal doesn't kick in until next year. So this is kind of your year to, let's see what you can do. Let's see if you can build on last year before the cap really becomes an issue. Starting next year, the cap becomes an issue for a long time. And I just don't know how they're going to fill in tangible pieces around Dreisaitl and McDavid if what they have right now can't do anything.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, they need contributions from guys like Puyar. but he needs to take a big step forward. They're going to have that Milan Lucic contract for a long time. I, but when you, when you start looking at their system, there just aren't other pieces, Luke. I, maybe you are able to add some guys, you know, marginal guys through free agency or lesser, lesser paid guys that have them contribute because they're playing with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisettle, But But it's, it's a difficult puzzle to figure out now. And it's, it's because of the, the moves that they've made already. They have not made intelligent moves. I don't think that that situation has been well managed.
0: Yeah, and to be clear, like you're not saying that they shouldn't have signed McDavid for as much as they did. It's just no. You you have to do you have to things. do that. It's just the don't
1: trade Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Don't trade Jordan Everly for Ryan Strome, who's been awful there, yeah. and everyone knew he'd be awful. Yeah. those those deals make no sense.
0: You essentially gave if away. If you want to move those guys, players.
1: look. If you want to move those guys get better value for them. If, yeah. If, if for some reason you felt they had to be gone, if there were issues there, make sure you're getting something close to market value. They have not done
0: that. Or honestly, if you felt like you just had to have Adam Larson, I think he's a decent player, you probably could have gotten him for Jordan Everly sure. and kept Taylor Hall. That that would be my guess. So either way, that's, that's going to be something to watch because... When you are as good as Connor McDavid is, you're going to get scrutinized more than you probably even should. But when you look at the truly great players that have been drafted over the last decade or whatever, they've all had some team success, like Steven Stamkos and Sidney Crosby, certainly, and Patrick Kane, and, and Austin Matthews is already having it. I mean, I guess John Tavares hasn't had a ton of success, but I don't think Connor McDavid wants to go down the John Tavares path. And, and you know, I, I don't know how much of it's under his control.
1: No, it certainly doesn't feel like it at this point. I mean, he he got his money, but I mean, what, what else can he do at this point? He's, he's under contract for a very long time. It's not like he has any options, and, and his GM just keeps weakening the cast around him. So he's sort of stuck with whatever happens up there right now,
0: for good or for bad. They're either going to have to make a really shrewd move, or get lucky, or draft somebody that develops very quickly. Like You're right, Jesse Pugliarvi is suddenly one of the most important players on that entire team slash organization because they need somebody like him to step in that's not making any money on an entry-level deal and, and be able to contribute pretty consistently. And when you look at their their prospect pool, he's he's by far the uh, the most likely to do it, but he's not on the team right now. So keep an eye on the Oilers. A lot of people had them going to the Cup this year, and right now they can't put the puck in the other net. Uh, I think that's about it. Craig, do you have anything else you want to touch on? any Any, any cool stories from New York before we wrap up? Uh, no, not at this point. Oh, no, okay. Nothing that I want to share. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate that, and so do the listeners. All right. That's going to do it for us then for Craig Morgan and not for Jamie Eisner. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Trick Podcast.